0: So, Mark. Yeah? The question's plain and simple. What's your favorite Easter movie?
1: All right, so I thought of a couple. My first thought was, one could call it the Easter movie. And it's one of, honestly, the weirdest successes, which is The Passion of the Christ. I thought of this as well. Which is about, you know, the story of Easter. And the thing I remember most about that movie is the devil just, like, showing up. In places he shouldn't be, and it reminded me, even at the time I watched it, it reminded me of when Voldemort is just, like, on the platform in a suit and looks at Harry in Harry <laughs> Potter 6, the movie. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yes, it's the Harry Potter movie we covered on this podcast. Right, and it just, that part of the movie really stuck out with me, because I don't remember which came out first, or which I saw first. But Passion I think of the I Christ came out, out first. first. I think I saw Harry Potter first because it was not a movie my parents let me watch. I was going to say,
0: in what context did you watch this movie?
1: Uh, Church group in high school. Okay, I assumed, but... Yeah, and I remember seeing it, and I like giggled when the devil showed up because there was just like a (laughs) dramatic shot of him in the background, and I was like, it looks like Voldemort. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's a very weirdly successful movie that I did not enjoy watching. That movie is massively successful. It was the highest grossing r
0: rated film ever at the time of its release. Do you know what knocked it out? what Deadpool?
1: Wow that says <laughs> very interesting things. It held the record for like twelve or thirteen years. Um, I also remember I feel like Steel Magnolia's had some Easter scenes. It that did were very good. I love that movie. great movie, and it's got sort of like an Easter bonnet kind of vibe. If that I makes mean, sense. It's a, another hat movie, yeah. But the best of all, the most Eastery of them all, Peter Rabbit, <laughs> Will's favorite movie. It's about... not my favorite movie, <laughs> but it is one that I cannot get out of my brain. <laughs> a movie about a rabbit voiced by James Corden, horny for a human Roseburn. He really wants to bang Roseburn. Look, here's the thing, Mark,
0: as we've mentioned. I have gotten the COVID vaccine. I need you to get it before Peter Rabbit 2 The Runaway comes out. We gotta go.
1: I would have to put on a pretty significant amount of weight very quickly in order to qualify for the vaccine. So we will hopefully make it.
0: But who knows? Yeah, Peter Rabbit is like one category. The religious movie thing is another. Like, I'd raise this question not because I have an answer But because I think it's weird how few, obviously, like, Easter movies there are, given how very Christian this country is. But I think one of the weird things about Easter is that, unlike, say, Christmas, it doesn't have a lot of secular mythology built around it. So what you get are things like The Passion of the Christ. I searched on Google out of curiosity, like, what are the top Easter movies? And I got a list from... Uh, Opramag dot com, and they're mostly Jesus movies. But like Wallace and Gromit, Curse of the Were Rabbit is number three on the list because I guess rabbits are in it. I will say, great movie. And the the thing that I kept thinking of, which doesn't entirely make sense, but I have an explanation for it, was the Prince of Egypt, which is not an Easter movie; oh, it's a Passover it, movie. It's a Passover movie, right? But of course, like, the Easter narrative in Christianity is, like, very connected to Passover, and so there is a certain transitive property there. And I think the other reason I thought of it is that the Cecil B. DeMille movie, The Ten Commandments, is so strongly associated with Easter, because in the pre-home video days,
1: it would air on television every year at Easter. I mean, for that reason, you could say Wizard of Oz is the greatest Easter movie. Because it also was always aired on Easter. I I would accept that argument. I think... Even when my mom was a kid, Wizard of Oz was still like an Easter tradition. Yeah. I just think it's kind of strange for
0: as Christian this country is and as significant a holiday Easter is there, we don't get that much there. Like we wind up seeing, like, there's an occasional Peter Rabbit or an occasional Hop, the animated movie musical about rabbits.
1: I think it kind of makes sense because you got a bunny or the brutal, brutal execution of jesus and That's those the are the two parts of easter so there's not a lot there until you find out that a real thing called easter parades exist
2: oh my god wait <laughs> wait you guys didn't ask me for a movie though yeah we were I still know, working I didn't, through this okay. i
1: didn't really mean to segue to this movie but i just can't stop thinking about the fact that these are real i was bamboozled <laughs> fine fiona go ahead let's What's
0: your you favorite
2: Easter movie? Forgot about the VeggieTales classic, the Easter Carol, which That's is the a... the Christmas Carol set to Easter. That's not even like a top 10 VeggieTales. But we used to watch it every year on Easter. For lack
0: of
1: a better Easter movie, I guess. That was the problem. Yeah, but, but now we have Peter Rabbit to get us through this trying Easter.
2: Uh, I have not seen that. I don't think I need to. <laughs>
1: Will, should we cover Peter Rabbit just to talk about how that bunny is a horny for a woman? I've been trying to figure out what
0: the movie is that we bring Nick back on the podcast, and I think it's Peter Rabbit.
2: I would also like to say that uh, Will almost tricked me, and he texted me <laughs> asking if I would like to be on the episode about a classic Easter-themed musical so I naturally assumed he was talking about Easter parade and I just said, sure. And then he sent me a screenshot for the movie Hop and I was, I was ready to back out then and there.
1: <laughs> you would have done it.
2: I would have, but I would have been mad.
1: <laughs> but I would have complained about it. She's complaining anyway, so I don't feel that threatened. <laughs> This movie is the one I've had to take the most notes on in such a long time because there was so much going on in the romances. And yet very little happens. (laughs) And yet very little. Oh my god. I think before we discuss the movie, I want to take a second to discuss the concept of Easter parades. We have to! And why...
0: Why, though? So I did some reading about Easter parades, most notably the Fifth Avenue Easter Parade in New York City, which is like the main Easter parade. And by all accounts... That's
2: not the only one.
0: No, it's not. There's one not far from us in Richmond, Virginia. You could go down one year and participate in an Easter parade.
2: Maybe we should.
0: So by all accounts, the New York one started kind of spontaneously in the mid-19th century as some of the bigger Gothic-style churches in the city started having more and more elaborate Easter decorations, mostly, like, lots of flowers in, like, elaborate arrangements and stuff. And so after going to church, people would be like, oh, well, I've gone to my Catholic or Episcopal or whatever church. Now I'm going to, like, walk to the other churches and see what their flower displays are. And that turned into a thing where people would cycle from church to church to see all of these decorations. And also, just like the churches get fancied up for Easter, you should get fancied up for Easter in your nice new clothes. And it turns into people in nice clothes walking around. So if you are not a fancy dressed up person, you
1: can watch the people in their nice clothes. That's the thing. It doesn't seem fun. You just look at people wearing nice clothes. But also the fact that the fashion of what is in an Easter parade hasn't really changed since around the time this movie is set based off of current pictures of the Easter parade. I don't really get it either, because you're not dressed in, like, current day fancy attire. You're dressed like a weird Edwardian lady. I mean, I agree with you. I think it's
0: strange. Although, these days, there is a certain amount of, like, we're just dressing up in a costume for it. Yeah. Yeah, that's the pictures I saw. It's almost like SantaCon. I mean... If the Easter parades turned into who has the best rabbit suit, I would be into it.
1: I wonder if there are Easter parade themed drink like like bar, bar crawls. Hops. I would
0: love that. I, I so here's the thing. I want the 5th Avenue parade to be people in rabbit suits. I want the bar crawl to be Edwardian clothes. Yes.
2: I there was a guy um I had classes with him in college. I couldn't tell you what his name was. I just had multiple classes with him. He for probably Probably all of freshman year, he wore an Edwardian-era outfit to class every day.
0: Is this the dude you called Abraham Lincoln?
2: Yes, <laughs> it is. He had a hat, he had the vest and the jacket, and even a little walking stick, and a pocket watch. But then, like, his hair, like, with with his hair, he just straight up looked like Abraham Lincoln.
0: My senior year of high school, we decided to do something quite dumb, but I was at a Catholic what school. you know. <laughs> I am shocked, (laughs) gobsmacked. Stay tuned, buddy. We were in a Catholic school, so we had uniforms. And that meant that we didn't have a lot of, like, clothing freedom. But what we decided to do was, like, well, they'll tell us if we're not dressed nicely enough. But they're not going to tell us we're dressed too nicely. So there was an option to wear a polo shirt or you could wear a button-down shirt with a tie. And so we started Tux Tuesdays as a thing where, on Tuesdays, Nobody was wearing a tux. We would just wear the button-down shirt and then wear, like, a sport coat with it. (laughs) So we were all dressed a little fancier. And we were right. Although the uniform did not allow those sport coats, nobody told us to stop doing it. I did not create Tux Tuesdays, but I was in charge of the text chain, where on Monday night, I would text, like, 30 guys to remind them to wear their jackets to school the next day. And there was a guy in the group who was given a pocket watch for Christmas that year so oh, he could no. be extra fancy on
1: Tuesdays?
2: Wait, specifically for the Tux Tuesdays? Yeah. Oh my gosh.
1: Did I tell you I inherited my great great grandfather's working pocket watch and my mom got it appraised because she was curious and they couldn't date it because it was made before 1875 when the company's records started? Cool. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's it is old and it still works. It's crazy.
2: I kind of want to circle back to. Oh, go ahead, Mark.
1: Oh, uh, I was just gonna say they cleaned it up, so it's all shiny now too. Oh,
2: that's awesome. I just wanted to uh, bring up another weird thing that Will did in high school. <laughs> I don't know if, if this has been mentioned. I mean, mentioned. we could start
1: a whole podcast about We could.
2: It. We could. But I just remember one year, I think it was for homecoming, and he and a friend decided they were going to wear dress robes. I am
0: sure this has been discussed on the podcast, probably on the Harry Potter episode.
2: It could be. But you had like a bathrobe that you sewed some lace onto and you wore that to the dance.
0: Onto just about every seam. And it was a huge hit.
2: That's amazing.
0: It was awesome. Spirit Week that year was themed to heroes and villains. So... I decided to lean into that for the dance. I have no regrets
1: about Uh, that. (laughs) You're wild. All right. You know what else has great costumes? The film Easter Parade. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This is a podcast
0: dedicated to investigating the least important issue facing the world today. Does Hollywood
1: romance actually make any sense? And did wearing hats in the 1912s give you neck pain? (laughs) Let's find out. And are these people
0: dateable or likeable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We'll dig in and see what's there. And this week, it being Easter Monday, as this episode comes out, we are joined by my sister Fiona, hashtag Fifi Fierce, to talk about the 1948 MGM musical, Easter Parade.
2: Hello.
1: Had both of you heard about this movie before? Yes, I had seen parts of it,
0: but not all of it. I cannot believe that. My suspicion is that I was probably like reading in a room or in an adjacent room while Fiona watched this movie and therefore saw sequences, but had definitely never seen the whole thing.
2: So one year for Christmas, I got like four different old movies on VHS. And this was one of them. It was like this, Oklahoma. They were all movie uh, musicals. Yeah. The Sound of Music. And I forget what the last one was I don't remember but yeah so this was one so like we have this on VHS and we used to watch it all the time and I'm just astounded that you've never seen the whole thing
1: I had never heard of this movie when I first looked at the schedule Will was had put Easter parade on it I had absolutely no idea what to expect and also I never googled it so I <laughs> finally googled it to watch it and I was like oh this is a fun surprise
2: <laughs> Mark was like what oh were Judy you Garland thinking?
1: It's like when I got a fun surprise that we watched a Liza
2: Minnelli movie a couple weeks ago. Yeah. So, like, until you looked it up, did you have any thoughts about what this could be? Fiona, no thoughts,
1: head empty. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I don't don't think anymore.
2: Okay, okay.
1: We are over a year into (laughs) recording this, just, like, on our couches. Yeah. I've stopped really putting a lot of pre-effort into, like, pondering what I could imagine the movies are. I just accept what's on the schedule or whatever I put on the schedule. But it was very fun to see Judy Garland. And this was a suggestion
0: by multiple listeners, uh, people who thought that this would be a good spring movie for us. And I think it is. I mean, I think that we will talk a lot about other musicals we've already covered on this episode because there are elements of this that I like. I do think it is more slight than... A Meet me in St. Louis, or certainly a singing in the rain, but there are mm. some similarities to those movies that we should dig into.
2: Speaking of Meet Me in St. Louis, I kept expecting the trolley song to just start playing, and I was very disappointed when I kept reminding myself, "No, that is not in this movie." I mean, awesome. first of all,
1: the trolley song should be in every movie, so I understand <laughs> That's how that you sentiment. Say, F-ing banger, it's great. It, I agree that it should be in every single movie. And number two, I have that kind of feeling too, where. There's stuff in
0: Easter Parade that I like. I think Judy Garland is very good in it. In particular, you know, Irving Berlin is a great songwriter. But I did spend a lot of time watching it thinking about other movies that
1: I kind of wished I was watching. I will say, not many other movies start with Fred Astaire straight up stealing <laughs> a giant armload of stuff from a store. Okay. No, he paid. He paid. He did he pay. Did not Oh, I didn't notice him pay. He
2: paid, and then he had to go wrestle back the bunny from the boy. But he did pay ahead of time, and then he walked out.
0: I love the drum crazy number. Me too. That is one of my favorite
2: songs in this movie.
0: It's just Fred Astaire conning a small child out of a stuffed rabbit. Because dang it, Astaire is in love, and he's going to give his lady love this stuffed rabbit. And if he has to do an elaborate routine where he tap dances and plays drums and also plays <laughs> drums using his tap dancing feet, he's going to do it. I love that sequence.
2: I also think out of all of the scenes where he's dancing, I feel like you're just watching. It's Fred Astaire having the time of his life as opposed to Don Hughes dancing for a show. Like, you, it just looked like he was having so much fun.
1: It is the most just peak Fred Astaire number. Where he's just doing what he is good at. Yeah. Sure. But it's also kind of exultant in a
0: way that, I mean, I don't know what order the musical sequences were filmed in, but Fred Astaire had announced his retirement in 1946. And he like founded a dance company and he was like, I'm out of the movies. And this is his first movie coming back. It's only two years later, but it is this thing
1: where watching it, there's this feeling of like, holy cow, he's back. He's got it. This rules. Yeah. Was he one of the first Miyazaki's though? Didn't he retire- Many times. He did retire several times. You thought of Miyazaki. I thought of Steven (laughs) Soderbergh. Yeah, he did a couple times. We, of course, have talked about Fred Astaire in a much later film, The Towering Inferno. Oh my god, I just remembered that that's the only Fred Astaire movie we have covered. That's the only Fred Astaire movie in which he won an Oscar. That's truly insane. I mean, that's a career capper Oscar. Yeah, that's a... This actually is probably
0: your retirement. Actually, speaking of that role... Originally, it was slated to be Gene Kelly, but Gene Kelly had to drop out, allegedly, because he broke his ankle, stamping his foot in anger after losing a volleyball game.
2: <laughs> I saw that.
1: I saw that. I also saw in the Gene Kelly version, Judy Garland's role, Hannah, was supposed to be Sid Charisse. And I think, having seen you know the Broadway number in Singing in the Rain, I would enjoy a whole movie of Gene Kelly and Sid Charisse dancing together. Oh, yeah. I will say I experienced the same thing I experienced with almost all movies made before. I probably around 55, where I spend the whole movie clutching the edge of my seat, waiting for the surprise blackface to just show up. And it didn't. Hooray! No. (laughs) Like, we're not watching Holiday in here, which also, according to the list I looked up, has an Easter scene. I just... After, especially, they're not actually in Blackface, but White Christmas having that whole song about minstrelry really, uh, I'm now very on edge about all old musicals. If we ever covered White Christmas, I think that would be the closest we'd ever be willing to go to a Blackface performance. Yeah. It's so out of the blue, too. Unrelated to Christmas or the plot. Unnecessary. Although White Christmas is interesting because that is a movie that is set basically when it's released.
0: Like, not that long after the war. Mm -hmm. So it's at a period where Blackface is on a decline. This movie, like Singing in the Rain, and like Meet Me in St. Louis, is set right around the turn of the 20th century. And I think it's sort of interesting the way that, in the years immediately following World War II, there is clearly this nostalgia for the world before the World Wars. Right. Like, if you want to have just, like, a happy, zippy movie... You go back there. If you want to do something serious, like, fine. Do the best years of our lives. Set it in the present. But if you want to have a good time, you have to go back before the Great War. Uh, Happiness
1: doesn't exist in our time anymore. I think that's kind of fascinating. Well, I guess Singing in the Rain is after the Second World War, but you have the Roaring Twenties, which you can kind of have fun again. Yeah, it pointedly ends before the Depression. (laughs) Right, but before... Honestly, the 60s, if you went too far back, you were in World War II or the Depression or the years, the traumatic years following the war when thousands of soldiers had to readjust to life at home. You could kind of see why they chose the different eras for fun. Now, Fiona, you had seen this movie a bunch. Yeah. And you're you're a fan of Easter
0: Parade. Yeah. So what's, sell us on Easter Parade. What's great about this movie?
2: Um, hats, first of all. They're just A-plus so fun hats. to look at. You get songs. I always love musicals.
0: Yeah, actually, talking about the hats, it's worth noting, like, we skip straight to the rabbit and the drums. This movie does start with a fashion show oh. of hats.
2: And let me tell you, Mora and I used to reenact that scene and sing that part of the song all the time. Just how everyone comes out and, happy Easter. And then he just goes, happy Easter. And we used so to So that I that. remember. I remember yeah, so- that
0: more vividly than any scene from this movie. <laughs>
2: It's just such a weird thing. And like, how many times is he going to say Happy Easter?
0: Uh, Every time someone says Happy Easter to him.
2: Yeah, which is just a lot of times.
0: Well, he's polite. So maybe you could learn something from him.
2: No, I'm just saying a lot of people said Happy Easter to him.
1: They're polite too. He's also a celeb.
2: I guess that's true. Yeah, so we used to do that. I also like, I thought that um, Peter Lawford was really cute as a younger person.
0: (laughs) As did most Americans in 1948.
2: Yeah, and so- He is
0: very cute.
2: I think that he was my one of my very early first celebrity crushes, you know, as eight-year-old children in 90s America were wont to do.
0: Yeah, all of the eight-year-old children in 90s America were super hot for Peter Loveford.
1: <laughs> I realized recently, I was re-watching Psych since I saw that it was on Peacock. Oh, yeah. And I realized that my first celebrity crush, which is a very weird experience when you're in the closet as a kid, was James Roday from Psych. Excellent. He's fun. I remember Googling as like surreptitiously as an 11-year-old, like, <laughs> is he shirtless in any episodes? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's that amazing. fantastic. No, unfortunately.
2: I'm sorry about that.
1: Obviously, it was just because I thought he was cool.
2: (laughs) Right. Of course. Uh You know,
1: the loops you have to jump through mentally (laughs) to wonder why you're Googling (laughs) James Roday shirtless psych episode? (laughs) Question (laughs) mark.
2: Oh, my gosh. But, But yeah, between this movie and the old, old little women Peter Lawford. I I definitely thought he was cute. Sure. I think, isn't
1: there like a Little Women from the silent era? I don't Probably. know if you could say it's the Probably. old,
2: old. Well, it's older than, it's from a long time ago, Mark. It's old. Uh, Elizabeth Taylor is in it.
1: Yeah. How many adaptations have there been?
0: A lot. We grew up with the 1949 version. There is a 1933
1: adaptation. And you're right. There might be one from the silent era yeah. too. Silent era 1917. But it's a lost film. I was gonna say, like, and then there's another don't silent feel adaptation like it
0: lends itself that well to a silent film, like it's a thing about words.
2: Yeah,
1: there's also a 1918 silent adaptation. Back when you could just adapt the same book one year later, apparently. <laughs> That's because movies played for like two weeks. The theatrical window was a nap.
0: <laughs> Valid. So. We're talking about Easter Parade. Like we said, it's the, the unretirement for the first time of Fred Astaire. It's directed by Charles Walters, who was a dancer and a choreographer. He had become MGM's dance director in 1943. He choreographed Meet Me in St. Louis, which we talked about like two years ago. And then he became a director, and he directed a bunch of musicals. His last MGM movie was The Unsinkable Molly Brown, which got Debbie Reynolds her only Oscar nomination. This movie was originally developed to be directed by uh, Vincent Minnelli, who did direct Meet Me in St. Louis, but Judy Garland's psychiatrist said it would be a bad idea for them to work together, for her to be directed by her husband
1: at that point. I mean, I think that that was probably a good choice. Almost certainly. I mean, her previous movie, The Pirate, she
0: had suffered a nervous breakdown. It involved her first suicide attempt. So it definitely feels like let's not combine work and personal stress when we're moving on to the next
1: project. I'm trying to figure out how much I enjoyed this movie. I can't really tell if that makes sense. Like, I liked it. But I think I also... I feel like none of the songs stuck out to me as much as, you know, a trolley song, the boy next door, the man who got away. I'm currently just naming Judy Garland specific songs.
0: I mean, I think that's largely true. I mean, here's the thing, like Irving Berlin, nothing we're going to say is going to take anything away from the fact that he's like one of the best American songwriters to ever live. Yeah,
1: I don't think I don't think that that's really up for debate. The man wrote God Bless America and White Christmas. Like he's good. Uh, the
0: one that lodges in my head is Fellow with an Umbrella. Oh, I in love part, that song. It's I love the simplicity of the rhymes in it, which is kind of the appeal of an Irving Berlin song. Like the lyrics are always very simple. But I like how earnest that song is. Yeah, that's And I think that's, that's, that's part of, of why favorites. I feel a little more removed from this movie, because I feel like Peter Lawford gets a raw deal from it. <laughs> how dare they treat him that way? Like, he's the best character. Or certainly, oh. he's one of the better characters in the movie. He's, like, the character who's never a jerk to anybody. And he's, like, cast aside by the time it ends. I know. And, like,
1: he was the fellow with an umbrella. We liked him. Yeah. And he's so so sweet about it, too. He
2: is. And he's just like, he's thoughtful and sweet and he's there for her. Like, he got done dirty here. It makes
1: a bit more sense when the part is written for Gene Kelly.
2: That's because Gene Kelly
0: has like, he's like a mild, like, charming scumbag energy. It's what makes him good and Inherit the Wind later on. That, like, you like him, but he's a little sleazy. Despite being so classy.
2: What's the age difference between Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire? Does anybody know that? I mean, I can look it up. Because I just... And I remember from watching this as a kid, too. I just felt like he's so much older than Judy Garland.
0: It's a 13-year age difference. Fred Astaire is 13 years older.
2: Older than Gene Kelly?
0: Yeah. Gene Kelly is 10 years older than Judy Garland.
2: Okay. Yeah.
1: Which means that Astaire is 23 years older than she is. Right. But... When you have Peter Lawson. Lawford. Lawford. When you have Peter Lawford, and then you compare him to Gene Kelly, it makes a bit more sense where you're like, all right, there's something appealing about Gene Kelly that, I mean, besides the fact that he's just hot, there's like something else. But then when you have Peter Lawford and Fred Astaire, and one of them is incredibly sweet and fully in love with you, and the other treats you like a prop, (laughs) We'll discuss this later with our believability, but <laughs> it made it kind of tough
0: for me to get on board. Sure. I think that's fair. And that's, I enjoy a lot of the sequences in here. I think the musical sequences are all well done. Irving Berlin's songs are great. A lot of the choreography is really great. I think it's a great dance movie. Yeah. Definitely a great dance movie. But the story feels a little thin and given how much i liked
1: the peter lawford character it's a little unsatisfying i'm surprised they didn't even throw in just another showgirl for him to date or something
2: well i think well we can talk about this when we No, i agree with you but but i think do you not think that he kind of ends up with nadine
0: i think the movie implies that yeah but
1: he's never happy about it correct
2: so she's always, like, like, a second option for
1: him. Yeah. I feel like if they just threw in, like, some hot little dancer woman at the last second, like they do in other movies from this era, <laughs> and then he's just, like, pulls out his umbrella as she's stuck in the rain. That's
2: Peter She goes, Loper's I was looking for a fella. After.
1: Yeah. That would satisfy me. That's all I need. Yeah. That's all I need. That would satisfy me. He's just as He's a fella with an umbrella, and he finds another gal in the rain. Nonetheless... This movie, while critics were kind of
0: lukewarm on it, it was a big hit. It opened July 8th, 1948, which is weird because that is notably not Easter.
2: Yeah, that's poor planning. (laughs) Why? Why? (laughs)
0: And why? It was the second highest grossing musical of the 1940s after Meet Me in St. Louis, and the second highest grossing movie of 1948 behind Road to Rio, one of the Bob Hope, Bing Crosby Road movies. It won an Academy Award for Best Original Score, and a Writers Guild Award for Best Written Original Musical for its writers Francis Goodrich and Albert Hackett, the husband and wife team who also wrote The Thin Man and It's a Wonderful Life and got a Pulitzer Prize for The Diary of Anne Frank. Wow,
1: what a varied career. We've talked about him a bunch! I know, but every time I'm taken aback, especially now seeing this in addition to you could see The Thin Man and It's a Wonderful Life the similarities and then you just throw in this full golden age musical on top this incredibly sunny film yeah More no like tension
0: the thin man is wordplay
1: it's a wonderful life is lovely but fairly dark and then there's this where one of the biggest conflicts in this movie is judy garland can't tell her left from her right <laughs> So
0: that's one of the things that I remember from the, from like the flashes of this movie I saw growing up
1: and it didn't make a lot of sense to me then. It made no sense to me now. (laughs) Makes even less sense now. Sometimes I struggle with my left and my right, but I wouldn't go so far as to say that I would need to wear a garter on one leg only so I could (laughs) tell while I was dancing. And she can't remember it. Like, she's rehearsed
0: these routines for a year, and she can't remember what the right move is. It's like she lacks, like, leg permanence.
2: Yeah, wouldn't the muscle memory kind of kick in after a couple of years? Maybe a month or so? Like, it doesn't make sense. And it's
1: unnecessary, because it's like, she could just be an untalented dancer. You don't need to add this weird element on top. It didn't add any tension for me it just added confusion it feels like the bulky sweater of this movie
0: where it's like here is the charming winsome flaw in this female lead
1: it's her tripping over a table at her job in media right
0: uh, i'm trying to see if i have anything else i wanted to talk about um one of the interesting things because irving berlin was born in like the 1880s and was like a wonderkind. a bunch of the music in this movie is music that he wrote in 1911 and 1912. So it's not that it feels like period music. It is period music, which in part just speaks to how long that guy's career was and how long oh he was God. a hit maker.
1: So they cut a song for being too too risqué. Mr. Monotony. A, yeah. Mr. Monotony. Did he write that song for the movie or is it another older song? No, that one was written was for risque. this movie. Okay. He
0: actually wrote a decent number of original songs for this one. Um, it Only Happens When I Dance With You was new... Drum crazy, stepping out with my baby, couple of swells, fellow with an umbrella. Those are all new in this movie. The other, like, just weird thing that I want us to discuss that probably won't come up in the romance is Jules Munchen, who plays the waiter. That oh, salad scene.
2: That is also one thing that I remember.
0: So I don't I remember you doing it, Fiona. but it feels like a scene Fiona would have recreated. Oh, I was 100%.
1: That sounds like something I could easily see young Fiona sitting the <laughs> two of you down and forcing you to watch her do.
2: I don't know I don't about remember that forcing happening, them, but, but I'm sure it happened. <laughs> I definitely would say it. I don't know that I forced them to watch me.
0: I would believe it. So Munchin, this was part of a thing that MGM was doing in the 40s, where this was basically a screen test. So he was a comedian that MGM thought, like, I don't know, maybe he could be in movies. So they just, like, put him in here to see how audiences reacted to his style of
1: comedy. And people loved it, so he got a studio contract based on this movie. The parts where he was dealing with them changing the number of people at lunch a lot, I really enjoyed him doing those. But the salad part just confused me so much (laughs) that I like... Lost track of what the whole movie was about as my brain spiraled for like five minutes as this man acts out making a salad. This like ancestral recipe.
2: I lost track of some of the ingredients from the salad. And
0: it's quite funny. You know, he's miming doing these different actions and some of it is clearly nonsense. Like he's describing like spices from India and all that. And then he gets an egg from a chicken. Like it's good.
1: It is, but it's just so bizarre and also I love that he's a waiter and it sounds like he created the recipe for the salad. I think he owns the restaurant. He okay. seems to
2: be like waiter, maitre d' or er, and everything.
1: Maybe he's the only one working in the restaurant. No, there's at least one other dude there.
2: Cuz there's the guy that he signals over to remove the plates when people keep deciding uh, whether or not they're eating. And then yeah. there's the there's like the coat check guy cuz when they get up and leave you find out that he's already got their coats ready to go.
1: This movie doesn't have many side characters, but they do have memorable side characters because you also have that cabbie that's just negging Peter Lauper the whole time.
0: (laughs) Love the cabbie, love the bartender who dispenses wisdom because apparently like wise bartender is a stereotype that goes back at least 80 years.
2: With his little crocheted words of wisdom framed on the bar. I like that his crocheted
0: words of wisdom Cannot be contained in one frame. And he has <laughs> I two side-by-side frames I guess that contain this poem.
2: It's not crochet. It's, I think it's cross-stitch. But yes, it's in multiple framed uh, frames.
0: It's like the John Mulaney joke about the birthday poster where like you started out too big and now you have to go on to another one.
2: Yeah.
1: All right. So should we start talking about the romance? Considering now we have mentioned pretty much every other <laughs> non-romantic character yeah, just 40 minutes into this recording, we should maybe talk about romance. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So every week we break down the romantic plot line of the film into five points. Fiona, as our guest, would you kick us off with what is this? Point number one.
2: Oh, let me just tell you. I... Went back and forth seriously on whether or not I was going to have a point zero. I felt that I could justify it, especially since just yesterday I was listening to a previous episode of this podcast where Will had Will a point recorded, zero. like
0: two days after the How Stella Got Her Groove Back episode came out.
2: <laughs> yeah, Willie had a point zero and Mark actually defended me and said that Will has unjustly criticized me on occasion.
0: I stand by my defense that you are worthy of greater scrutiny when you use a point zero mm. because you've abused the privilege.
2: I don't know about that, but I stuck to five points this time, and point number one is oh the sorry, break. hang on. If we're going to start
0: introducing points on this episode that's largely about hats, I would like to introduce a hat to this to this uh, oh episode. My gosh. Oh, no, man. I have that. <laughs> uh, so I'm wearing a marching band hat from the high school I went to.
2: Is this why we had to pause before starting when you said you had to, you'd had be right back?
0: Yeah, I had to get a hat.
2: <laughs> oh, okay.
0: So uh, the new marching band director got new hats and he found one that had my name in it. And he's like, here's your old hat. I'm trying to get rid of
2: these. And here we are. And here we are. Do you think uh, anyone wore a hat like that at the Easter parade?
1: I hope so. Too small.
2: Do you think they ever had marching bands at the Easter parade after it got to be bigger? I don't know.
0: I mean, it's conceivable. It just feels contrary to the spirit of the Easter parade because I feel like it's supposed to be showy but not, like, drawing attention to yourself. Like, people should want to look at you, but you shouldn't look like you want people to look at you. And a marching band is asking for attention. Hmm. Because you're supposed to be like, I'm just pious. I'm going from church to church looking at flowers. Also, have you seen my magnificent hat?
2: (laughs) Well, I'm sorry. I'm not wearing a hat.
1: I mean, I have two baseball caps and that's about it. So, Fiona, do you want to take
2: us to point number one? Point number one is the breakup. I've danced
1: with dozens of others the whole night through. But the thrill that comes with spring. When
2: anything could happen that only happens with you. So this is, I I debated making this point zero, but I didn't. But we start off after Don has gone on his shopping spree. We find out that he and his dance partner, Nadine, they're supposed to go to Chicago. And while they're there... Nadine breaks the news that she is not, in fact, going to Chicago with him. she and They're not just not- going
0: to Chicago. They, like, have a contract to perform there.
2: Right. But we find out that she did not sign any of their contracts. And she has actually signed her own contract for a solo act. And she's just tired of kind of riding on his coattails. And she wants to break out and do her own thing.
1: Which I say, get it, girl. <laughs> yeah, I'm so happy
0: for her when she takes advantage of that. And she's like, look, sexism means that I haven't been asked to sign these contracts, and I'm going to take advantage of that.
2: Right. But I think her timing was a little bit rude, but yeah. I fully agree with her life choices.
0: So Fred Astaire, Don, tries to convince her to stay, and this is when we get the first version of It Only Happens When I Dance With You, which I think is a great sequence, especially on the part of Anne Miller, who plays Nadine, because... She has no sung lines in the song. So she's just dancing there. And I think she does an incredible job of acting while dancing, where you see her resisting him and then tempted to go along with it and then giving in and rethinking it. Like, entirely in her physicality, there's so much performance taking place. And I think it's really incredible to watch. Like, she's doing great work in this movie.
2: Yeah. And Don kind of explains that for him... It's not just about the dancing. He is is in love with her, and he kind of thought that they were in everything together, and she is ruining all of that.
1: Which also already introduces that he is bad at being in love, because he has never told her, and she seems to just not know. Right. Don is, is not great at communication. I think that's not
0: limited to love. Like, he's bad at communicating in a lot of ways, but it is most extreme when it comes to love.
2: Right. And then this scene, we also meet Johnny for the first time, and he shows up with a a new dog for Nadine. She seems to collect dogs.
0: Don't give someone a dog as a surprise gift.
2: That's giving someone work
1: as a surprise gift. She seems very into it because, one, she doesn't have to do the work because she has, is her name Essie? Yeah. Yeah. Essie to help her out with it. And she has to have a different dog to match every outfit. I mean, part of why she's into it, too, is that
0: she loves Johnny and she's excited that Johnny is giving her gifts.
2: Now, I'm wondering, Johnny, who does not really reciprocate her feelings, what what is his kind of purpose for bringing her a new dog?
0: I'm assuming Johnny, like Peter Lawford, is just some heir to enormous fortune and therefore just like hands out random weird gifts to people. That tracks. Could be. Fun fact, Peter Lawford, he's like English, he's nobility adjacent. He's so aristocratic, he had an aunt who disinherited him for becoming an actor.
1: He is one of the very few men that you see on Wikipedia with socialite as a title. Yeah. Yeah. He married a Kennedy.
2: Yeah. He's got a very fascinating uh, personal life, actually.
0: Fiona dug deep on the Wikipedia. She did a lot of Googling.
2: <laughs> yeah, I did.
0: Peter Lawford shirtless psych episodes. <laughs>
2: No, I didn't look up that, but he, he like, there was a lot of drama between him and Frank Sinatra over where the Kennedys were going to host a big party at one point. It, lots of drama.
1: All right, point two?
2: Yeah, so point two is the project.
1: I'm just a fella, a fella with an umbrella, looking for a girl who saved her love for a rainy day.
2: So Don, he... After kind of getting broken up with by Nadine, he says that he can find any girl out there and he can teach her to be just as good or better than Nadine. So this is where he goes to. It's like a bar slash restaurant slash lounge, I guess. And this is, they've got a show happening and he meets Hannah and Judy Garland and he walks up to her and just says, I'll give you $150 a week and you come dance with me.
1: Which is 10 times the amount of money she makes currently. Yes.
0: There's a certain Pygmalion quality to this in a way that presages My Fair Lady, which comes in the 50s.
2: Yeah. And she seems kind of creeped out by him at first, and she rips up his business card that he left her. And then when the owner of the restaurant asks who that was, she says the name Don Hughes, and all of a sudden it hits her that this is Don Hughes, the dancer.
0: Oh my gosh, I just realized we're on point two. I'm sorry. Uh, We have a new hat. This is sort of a wide-brimmed Indiana Jones-style fedora.
2: Okay. I can't wait to see Indiana Jones
0: and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Of course, a movie we covered on this podcast.
2: I can't wait to see the other hats.
0: What other hats? I'm just wearing a hat. This is my Easter hat.
2: I'm sure there are three more. So the next day is Easter, but they don't acknowledge that right away. But she shows up to the studio space that Don has rented, and she's like, okay, I quit my job. I'm here to dance. And this is where we find out that she doesn't know her left leg from her right leg. She puts a rubber band on her leg, which then cuts off her circulation. And she's a disaster. She can't get these steps.
1: Which uh, begs the question, she was dancing in the show the previous night. Presumably she was
0: wearing a garter.
1: Yeah, I guess that's supposed to be why she, she has no muscle memory marks.
0: She lacks leg all permanence. Of a
1: forgot how to dance
0: as a concept. This is also the window where we get teased what should be the romance of this movie, which is one day she's trying to get to rehearsal and she gets caught in the rain and gets stuck on a porch with Johnny Peter Lawford and he becomes a fellow with an umbrella.
2: But this is, um, this is also when we see Johnny and Nadine at the restaurant and Johnny's like, oh, I've got someone special coming to join us. And she's like, oh my gosh, I finally get to meet your dad. Like, this is a big step for us. And he goes, what? No, I'm I'm almost done with law school. I'm going to be a doctor now. I don't, it felt like he was trying to come up with excuses for why, like, oh, I'm going to be in school forever. We cannot be together. And the surprise guest at the dinner is Don. So neither of them knew the other one was going to be there.
0: Right. Nadine keeps trying to manufacture circumstances where she can be with Johnny. Johnny keeps trying to manufacture circumstances to put Nadine and Don together. Right. And also... After meeting Hannah, he's like, we should hang out. We should date. You're cute. I'm cute. Like, I don't see what the problem is.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm all for it. That's the relationship I was rooting for. But also in this time, Don and, and Hannah, well, I guess right now they call her Juanita. Their act is not very successful.
1: No, she is not very successful.
2: <laughs> no. Yeah. They don't get as many encores as Don normally gets. And he's very upset about that. But he does... He's like sending
0: big flowers to her, yeah. arranging ahead of time, but it's not having the same impact as it did when he was performing ballroom with Nadine.
2: Right, exactly. Um that is all I had for point 2.
0: I would like to note as part of point 2, Don has Hannah to his apartment or hotel room or whatever to talk about their plans, and in his home he has this like large animal hide rug. Oh. That appears to have the entire head attached to it. like It's like a basketball that he like props his foot on like he's Christopher Columbus.
2: Yeah. What? Is it a polar bear? What is that?
0: I don't know, but it needed to be acknowledged.
2: I, I did notice the head and how he rested his yeah. foot on the head. He's a weird dude. So, point three. Point three, I have called changing the act success.
0: More like changing the hat. <laughs>
2: yeah. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. Why do you have a C-SPAN Oh, span I have that hat.
0: hat around here somewhere. My C-SPAN baseball hat that I got at the congressional baseball game? The oh coolest gosh. event in DC's social calendar?
2: Yeah, but why a C-SPAN hat?
0: Because they were giving them out for free at the congressional baseball game. Okay. And who am
1: I to turn down a free hat? Yeah, I have one around here somewhere.
2: Are you going to put it on?
1: No, I don't really feel like standing up. Ah, Okay. <laughs> Just to be clear for listeners,
0: because we have never mentioned this, Mark records most episodes lying down in bed.
2: <laughs> I know. I don't well, know how you do it.
1: It's because we have a apartment that is two rooms and one of the rooms has the video games in it. And that is the room Nick wants to be in while I record. That's oh, a pretty I good thought, reason.
2: I thought you were going to say you would be tempted to multitask and play video games while recording the podcast.
1: <laughs> no, Nick wants to use the big TV.
2: Makes sense. Okay. So point three. When the midnight shoot choo leaves for Alabama, Alabama. Alabama, I'll be right there. Where you be? Where you be? I've got my face. Show
1: it to me, show it to me.
2: When I see that rusty hair conductor man, what do you do? What do you do? I'll grab him by the collar and I'll holler. Alabam, Alabama, Alabama, wow. that's where you start. So now Don has decided that they're gonna change their act and they're gonna cater more to Hannah's talents. Including that, uh, she's no longer Juanita, she will revert back to her real name of Hannah Brown.
0: One of the things that I think is interesting here, I mentioned these other sort of early 20th century nostalgia musicals. If you think about this in comparison to Singing in the Rain, which comes later, Singing in the Rain, the Gene Kelly character starts out doing like vaudeville stunt performer nonsense and increasingly shifts into classier roles. I like that Don is willing to do the opposite. Like that's not a thing I would necessarily expect from his character. That he starts off as like sort of a high-class ballroom dancer. And obviously he becomes a bigger star doing it. But the fact that he's willing to, in a certain way, go down to vaudeville, I think is kind of cool.
1: Dress up as a hobo with Judy Garland.
2: <laughs> right. A <laughs> couple was one of, swells. of my least favorite songs.
1: No, Couple of Swells is one of the funniest sequences in the movie.
2: Uh, it is funny. I just, even as a child, I just never liked that scene.
0: I think it is one of the many... Parts of this movie that Judy Garland absolutely kills.
2: She does. But before they do that, they audition for Ziegfeld's Follies. And, it, I mean, their audition goes really well. They get offered the spot, but they find out that that is Nadine's show.
0: Like, she's the star of it, and they would be an act in it.
2: Right. It is It is her show. Her name is on the marquee with Follies. And that's also when Hannah finds out that Don used to be in love with Nadine. So she kind of runs away. Because
1: for some reason, we find out, out of the blue, Hannah's in love with Don. Which is right. dumb, because also in this point, Johnny meets
0: her at the theater wearing an enormous fur coat and driving a red convertible. And you're like, yes, Kiss this man! He is clearly a charming maniac, and
2: he is the man you should be with.
1: A charming, very rich maniac. His coat is too much, though. It's so big, and I love it.
2: And she, this is also when she discovers that Johnny actually knows Don, too.
0: I like the no effort to explain that relationship between, like, the famous dancer and the medical student. Like, they're just buds, doesn't matter how. Well,
2: he's not a med student yet. He's still in law school. That <laughs> That's is true, his I next forgot thing. That. Yeah.
0: I'm realizing I never questioned it. I they was just friends. like, of course, Johnny is a permanent student.
2: So that's what, she finds out that they know each other and Johnny asks her to dinner and she agrees. Well, they have a very long conversation while the taxi driver is commentating on the whole thing.
0: I love when Johnny declares that scientists have found people fall in love quickest during rainstorms. Oh, yeah. He's just like so determined to make this work, even when it's clear She just wants to be with Don. He's like, science says we must be together.
1: (laughs) He is someone that truly encompasses shoot your shot.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. So they go to dinner. But actually, before they go to dinner, there's kind of an awkward moment in her suite where Don shows up. And then Johnny shows up. And Don's like, hey, Johnny, come to dinner with us. You can bring a date if you want. And then he realizes that Johnny and Hannah are going on a date. He is not part of this.
0: Here's the thing. I am never fully on board with Don being in love with Hannah. I am on board with Hannah being in love with Don. Like, I get how that happens. And I think she's very sweet when she is talking to Johnny and she talks about how, like, I'm really sorry, Johnny. I wish I could be in love with you when they were passing out the wishes I wished for him. But I think that works for me in part because of the age difference between her and Don, where there's clearly an admiration there. But that makes me also not want them to wind up together.
2: Yeah. Well, and it's definitely, there's a weird sort of dynamic. And and she tells Johnny that when they're rehearsing, she'll make mistakes on purpose so that he will then tell her they need to spend more time in rehearsal. Um, that's and, a sign of a bad relationship. Yeah. I don't know. It's just interesting. And that's when then Johnny also says that, you know, Don still has these feelings for Nadine, but Johnny has fallen in love with Hannah. It's quite a square.
1: I really would have enjoyed if Nadine was made out to be less evil and she and Don got back together romantically, but she maintained her independent stardom and then Hannah and Johnny ended up together in love. That is clearly how this movie should
2: be. I, yeah, I agree.
0: It almost feels like they were building up to that and then changed their mind. Right.
2: Right. So then later on, like, I guess it's, I don't know if it's the next day or what, but we find out that someone now wants to build a show kind of like Follies, but it's based around Don and Hannah. And so there will be lots of little scenes, but they are the main attraction in the show. And then this is also the time where Don and Hannah have dinner together at Don's apartment is this a new
0: point or is this the same no no
2: this is the end of this point basically okay. they yeah they sorry get together i just need to
0: know for no particular reason
2: for no reason okay and actually she was supposed to go out with johnny that night but then don comes over and invites her to dinner all while johnny is sitting there on the other end of the phone hearing the entire conversation so he hears her make alternative plans so she goes uh over to don's for dinner and then johnny calls up nadine for plan b that's the end of the point so point four. Oh, excuse me Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. This is slightly different.
0: Yeah, this is clearly a brown cowboy hat.
2: Oh, okay. This is how you know
0: I'm a cowboy.
1: All right. Point four.
2: (laughs) So I I named this point wrong. You had one job. (laughs) I know. Okay, this point is now where Hannah actually goes over to Don's for dinner, and they kind of have it out there. And she's like, you don't see me as a human. You don't look at me. You don't even look at me. You're I'm a prop. I know this started as a project, and that's fine, but, like, we, it, we should be past that now.
1: It only happens when I
0: dance with you
1: That trip to heaven Till the
2: dance is through And then he kisses her, and she's like you don't even know what color my eyes are and he does but you know there are only a couple of options it could have been a good guess i don't know and then they sing it only happens which was one of his big hits with Nadine in the past
0: i mean it is the song he sang while trying to convince her that they should stay together right so he's now singing the same song with a different woman
2: right and at the end he says why didn't you tell me i was in love with you
1: Blech. i hate that it's a that little line. sweet i kind of like it it's a little sweet, but it's also just like you shouldn't need to be told this is a bad relationship. That's the thing. Right. like I like that moment
0: in a vacuum, but not in the context of the whole movie,
2: so then they're they're together. they're having great success with their show.
0: Can we talk about the coolest scene in this movie? Sure, which is when we see their show, just an unbelievable sequence, and one that was hailed as a technological achievement, which is the stepping out with my honey dance number, which is one of the numbers in their show that features Don, but not Hannah. And during this part, it's it's a filmmaking triumph where the chorus continues dancing at 24 frames per second at oh, normal yeah. speed. And Don goes into slow motion. So he as the one object is incredibly slow. You can watch like every movement of his hands, his feet, the cane he's twirling with while everyone else goes full speed behind him. It's unbelievable to watch. I mean, like it's magic. In the way that the best movie musicals are magic.
2: Yeah, it's pretty cool. And this is when Nadine sent Essie to spy on the show. And then she's calling Nadine in her dressing room at Follies to kind of report back. And Essie's like, oh yeah, she's nothing compared to you.
0: And part of it is because Essie doesn't seem like... Because Essie, like Nadine, doesn't recognize the rising popularity of vaudeville comedy. And the way that it's sort of supplanting the higher class dancing that Don and Nadine had
1: done together in the past. I think part of it is also she's just stroking Nadine's ego. Well, sure. And you can understand why she would do that, given the fact that it's 1912.
2: So this is then what I don't understand. So after their show, Don says, I made reservations for us at the rooftop to see Follies. So he is now taking Hannah to Nadine's show. And first of all, I'm, I'm first confused because... He had already seen her show and it was in a theater. I guess this is just like a special like dinner performance that they're having separately. I'm not sure what that was. So they're there watching Nadine dance. And then she, in front of everybody, announces that, oh, my old partner is here. Let's all convince Don to come dance with me to It Only Happens.
0: Which is such a bananas power move. Oh, yeah. Yes, given the fact that they are this famous former partnership like he can't really refuse, but it's such a like aggressive play given that she doesn't actually want to work with him or be with him right. to insist that this happens. It's just because she wants to establish dominance over Hannah.
2: Right. It she has no she's not trying to win him back. She's not interested in him at all. It's literally just I'm better than you. If I Cause drama in your relationship. Maybe I'll make you be worse or something like that. So Hannah runs away. She goes back to the hotel. Don is already there waiting for her. They kind of yell at each other through the door for a little bit. And then a cop comes and leads him away.
1: But she does open up the door to make amends. But the cop has already led him away silently, which is kind of sad.
0: And that's when Hannah then tearfully goes to the bar where she used to perform and the bartender leads her through several different framed images of poetry (laughs) to explain his wisdom.
2: Okay, so here's my question. Does the cop just like do normal rounds through the building? Why was he there? What? I don't understand.
0: I think he's a security guard. I think she's living in a hotel and he's a hotel detective. Do hotels have detectives? Not so much now, but it was a thing at the time. Where, yeah, hotels would be sort of policing the boundaries of what took place in them. Partially that involved sex work. And partially it was just like making sure people weren't doing anything they weren't supposed to be doing. And that's kind of the reading that I get. That the hotel detective is being like, you're clearly not supposed to be here. Get out. Okay. I don't know a lot about hotel detectives. (laughs) I just know enough from period stories to know that they're a thing. Gotcha. If you know... About hotel detectives and can tell us about them. You should tweet at us with the hashtag Sherlock Hotel. Ho- oh, no. With the hashtag Sherlock Hotel. Again, oh. that's hashtag Sherlock Hotel. Sherlock H O L T
1: E L to oh, tell
0: gosh. us about hotel detectives.
1: Oh God, Fiona! Please continue Ugh. to get off this topic.
2: Okay. Again, All that's uh... hashtag Sherlock Hotel. <laughs> oh my gosh! All right, point five. Mm. Excuse me. What have we got here?
0: This is my Easter hat.
2: What does it say?
0: It says believe.
2: Where'd you get this?
0: Feel free to describe the hat in any way if you'd like to.
2: It's, it looks like it's too small for your head. It is. <laughs> it is a white baseball hat that says believe in sparkly rainbow. And it also has a little tuft of hair and a unicorn horn and little ears on top.
0: Indeed it does.
2: Where did this come from?
0: Party City. Where else?
2: Why did this come to your possession? Um,
0: I was a coach for a like pep rally competition team, and our mascot was the unicorns. So I went to okay. Party City, and I found a unicorn hat that was clearly made for a small child. <laughs> also, I thought it fit the spirit of Easter, and I will be wearing it in the Richmond Easter Parade when we attend.
2: I cannot wait to see this in person. Okay, so point five, I have named Easter Parade. So that's the name of the movie. It is. So it's the next day and Johnny shows up at Hannah's hotel room and he kind of lets her know that he had just been with Don and Don has been auditioning for a new partner because his understanding of the previous night was that they were over.
0: (laughs) They had a fight that night. He stayed up late auditioning a new partner. Where did he find people to begin with? And also like that again to me is like Don is terrible at communicating about anything besides dance and maybe including dance, where he just immediately is like, all right, that's that. Like, time to move on to the next thing.
2: Okay, so here is He's just my had thing. an
0: opening night of his Hannah and Hughes show.
2: Right. And so like he's gonna already what what he's gonna like drop that? I don't know. Here's my other issue with this. Okay, so it's now been a full year in this movie because we find out that yet again, it is Easter. And why does he A, never realize it's Easter? B, hold all of his auditions on Easter. Not only is it a holiday, it is a Sunday, okay? No, I would not go to these auditions on a Sunday.
1: Well, Fiona, I will say a lot of people have day jobs and auditions are often on weekends. Is that true? To allow people that are working other jobs to audition.
2: I guess that makes sense.
1: Easter feels extreme. Easter is extreme, but I, I think auditions on a Sunday are a fairly normal experience.
2: Do you think they were in 1912?
1: Well, I think women auditioning for a dance role in 1912 would have other connotations added on that make working on a Sunday scandalous.
2: Yeah.
0: I also think that in 1912, weekends, as we think of them, are going to be less rigid. And so the idea of working on those days more Saturday than Sunday is going to be less unusual.
2: Hmm.
0: Like a lot of workers are working on weekends in 1912.
2: I guess that's true. Anyways, so while she's talking to Johnny, they realize it's Easter, and she remembers that a year ago she and Don had set a date that they were going to go to the Easter parade, and that she was going to be the one that everybody wanted a picture of instead of Nadine.
0: Again, it's that Pygmalion vibe that we mentioned earlier.
2: Right. So she has a bunch of gifts delivered to Don, and it doesn't say who they're from, and so that's she sends
0: their- him a live rabbit in a top hat inside a box. Is he supposed to keep the rabbit? Is he supposed to take care of the rabbit? Is the rabbit just a prop inside a top hat to make us think of a magic show? I don't know. I can't tell. 1948, big year for rabbits.
2: She also sends cake and a fla- and flowers too. Yeah. But yeah, the I don't those get are the normal
0: pet things gifts. to send someone.
2: Pets for gifts are not okay. So he's confused. He can't figure out where these gifts are coming from, why they're coming. And then finally, Hannah shows up at his place and she puts on this little act. She's like, what are you doing? Why are you late? We have to get to the parade.
0: I like this move. I like the, I'm just going to pretend this fight never happened and roll with it and see what happens.
2: Yeah. And it works. And they Especially they for leave. some of like Dodd, Right. Oh, I yeah. especially like it
0: because Hannah has never had the power in this relationship. And this is a way of her seizing some authority.
2: So then, this is what also blows my mind. So they go to the parade, everybody wants to get their picture, and then he pulls out a diamond ring. Oh my gosh! apparently hours before, he was auditioning for new partners. When did he get the ring? What did he think was going to happen? When was he going to propose in the first place?
0: That's the thing. It's not explicit that this is a proposal. But it is a heavily implied proposal where he pulls out the ring. She puts it on her left ring finger.
1: Maybe, so maybe, he had been planning to propose to her on Easter before the fight.
2: You know what would have been a bigger power move is if, instead of getting up to dance with Nadine at her show, he put a stop to the show, put everyone on hold, and then proposed to Hannah right in the middle of the show.
0: Or even if he, like, proposed to her right after doing the number with Nadine.
1: Well, she had already left by that point.
0: That's true yeah here's the thing i would believe that he had planned on doing it during the easter parade if he showed any clue that easter was coming up
2: (laughs) he doesn't maybe he forgot it's like oh yeah you're right it is easter
1: i do think this leads us into our next question do you find the romance of this movie believable
2: i believe that she would fall in love with him i do not believe that they would end up together
0: yeah I
2: find so it no. highly
0: improbable, especially with cutie Peter Lawford right there.
2: Yeah, oh my gosh.
1: A cutie, extremely rich Peter Lawford.
2: And, and very the sweet. nicest
1: person in this movie.
2: And also very educated and very intelligent and very hardworking. And he's got that big coat. And the nice car. I just car.
1: don't understand why you wouldn't be interested in him.
0: So every week, we rate the believability of a movie's romance on a 10-point scale where zero means we believe none of it, 10 means we believe all of it. Fiona, where
2: do you rate Easter Parade? I am thinking like a two. I wasn't going to
1: go down to a two, but I was thinking a three. I think I'm also a three. Okay. This is a rare episode. Where Fiona believes it less than we do.
2: Well, I was going to say three, and then I thought you guys were both going to be lower than I was. Fiona, we stop have stop trying to, to guess this. our
0: answers. <laughs> we have talked on this show about how you should rate it where you think it belongs. <laughs> uh, Which is worse, my ratings or my point systems? Your point systems are worse. Your ratings are at <laughs> close second. I'm going to ask you right now, Fiona, don't mess around with me. How believable is a Christmas kiss?
2: <clears throat> a Christmas kiss? <laughs>
1: yeah. We're starting at the beginning, working our way through. Oh, God. Do you I... think that Hannah or Don is dateable?
0: <laughs> um, Hannah, yes,
1: Don, no, done. I agree. Yep. If you had to pick one person in this movie to date, who would it be? I think we have all we made it it? fairly Can we all clear. say it on the count of three? Yeah. One, count two, three. Johnny.
0: Peter offered Johnny. Yeah. I mean, even the, like... Bartender with advice feels fairly misogynist. Yeah, maybe the
1: salad guy. No, he's annoying.
2: Wait, here's the other thing about the the bartender is that in the first scene when Don is sitting at the bar, it felt like they actually knew each other. And then when he goes back and is talking to Hannah, he was like, "Who was that guy? He seemed nice. I could have sworn they like said each other's name or something."
0: I think the scene
1: implied they knew each other, and then decided Don had never been in that bar.
2: Yeah, okay. (laughs) Yeah,
1: that sounds about right. Do you think that Hannah and Don will stay together? Not really.
2: I don't know. First of all, I think he would die before she would. (laughs) Fair.
1: So she might just stick it out till then.
2: (laughs) Could be. I don't... Yeah, I, I think, like, she loves him even when he doesn't notice her. So would she leave him once they're married, even if their relationship doesn't change, I don't know that she would. I think he'll get bored with her. It is 1912. Which
0: I don't mean as a dig on Hannah, who I think is great. I mean that as a dig on Don.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think so either. But also, it's 1912, so I doubt they'll get divorced. I mean, they're in showbiz, so the odds are slightly higher. <laughs> he'll just get cholera and die or whatever he <laughs> did back then. <laughs> well, so many of the movies we have covered have been adapted into stage musicals now this is already a musical do you think it should be brought to broadway
2: i mean i'm never gonna say no to seeing a bunch of cool hats
0: i don't know that this one is necessary
1: i don't think so i don't think there's much about it that would lend itself to there's no why now of this movie Sure. right
0: It would not have astonished me if it were put on Broadway in like the 60s and you're like, fine, like this has been made into a musical, but it feels pretty slight compared to something like Meet Me in St. Louis, which of course has been put on the stage, but there's a sadness to that where this just feels a little
1: underbaked and I don't know that we need to go anywhere with it. Like I'm happy to have seen it, but I feel like this is this. This is a movie where one of the main plot points is a woman can't tell the left and the right apart. But it's not even a plot
0: point. It never matters. That's part of what's so weird about it.
1: Yeah, that's fair. And I think that says all you need to know about (laughs) the emotional core of this movie being a little light.
0: All right, well, that probably does it for Easter Parade. Fiona, thanks for coming on and
1: talking us through this childhood fave of yours.
2: (laughs) Thanks for having me. Next week,
1: we will be diving into a sweeping Civil War epic, Cold Mountain. Tune in for me talking about Civil War memory and also about Nicole Kidman being a cutie. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at LoveLovePod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at LoveLovePod at gmail.com. This episode was a suggestion from multiple
0: people. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts to help other people find the show.
1: All right, Fiona, what is the best piece of dating advice we got from Easter Parade?
2: I think what I got is that you should just dance with the person that you are trying to fall in love with.
0: Will? I mean, this would be horrendous advice for dating me, but in this movie, Johnny gives Nadine a dog, and Nadine expresses her love for Johnny. Hannah... (laughs) gives Don a rabbit, and Don expresses his love for Hannah. So clearly, giving someone an animal can get them to express love for you. Do not do this to me, but <laughs>
1: it might work. My advice, carry an umbrella.
2: Oh, that is a good one. Wait, you guys, I totally had a story I, I was going to bring up.
1: I have, like, walked people with an umbrella to
0: flirt with them. Have I told you about
2: bros with umbrellas? No. Oh my gosh, a bunch of the guys I knew in electrical engineering... They wanted to start a business in when we were in college and it was going to be called Bros with Umbrellas. and they were going to walk around campus with umbrellas so that if they saw a girl without an umbrella, they could walk with her with their umbrella. But then it got into this whole elaborate scheme about how they needed there to be a shortage of umbrellas in order for their services to be needed. <laughs> I have heard this story. Yeah, so they wanted to either steal all the umbrellas that existed and i will and i said well what if you get caught and they wanted me then to post their bail to get them out of jail when this happened there were there were a whole bunch it was very elaborate bros with brellas
1: all right well uh, there you go until next time i'm gay
0: and i'm a ginger so between the two of us we know everything there is to know about romance
2: I'm i'm stepping out with my baby can't
1: go wrong I'm in right. It's for sure, not for maybe, that I'm all dressed up tonight. Stepping out with my honey, can't be bad to feel so good. Never felt quite so sunny, and I keep on knocking Would They'll be smooth sailing, cause I'm trimming my sail.